So, good morning. Uh, Good job we're only doing three verses today. (laughs) Four, actually. (laughs) Uh, Page 947 in your pew Bible, if you want to follow along. Uh, We're going to be talking about the meaning of faith. Uh, What is faith? Faith is trusting God before you see him. Faith is making the impossible become possible. It is accepting God's word without doubt. It is trusting God to divide the Red Sea. It is trusting God to make the walls of Jericho fall. It is building an ark before it rained. Can you imagine how crazy Noah would have looked? It had never rained before, ever. All the land was watered through through the ground. And here's Noah building a boat because there's a flood coming. What's a flood? But that is what faith is. Faith is believing what God says. It is walking on the water when Christ says, come. But when Peter is walking on the water, what happens when he takes his focus off of Jesus? He sinks. See, faith does not ask questions. And it definitely doesn't make excuses. That is what faith is. God gives us the proof of faith. Now, verse 1, 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. See, first we have this promise. It is the assurance of things hoped for. So let us consider a few Old Testament promises. See, we have this promise of pardon. Three weeks in a row now, we've talked, I've told you about Genesis 3.15. The proto-evangelical. It is the first gospel where God says to Adam and Eve, I am the devil. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. But he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we have a promise in Isaiah 53, 12, where he says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to, the, to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgression. 
And you know, we could, we could read this whole Bible. I want to tell you about a story. And, and you've probably never looked at this story this way. But in Exodus, Moses has led the people out of Egypt. He's got his staff. And, and, and we get to, we get to and, and he's parted the Red Sea. He's used the staff. He held it off to, to, to drown the Egyptians. He held it up and God drowned the Egyptians. That's why it's called the staff of judgment. Okay? He's holding his staff of judgment. Now, we get to Exodus 17. And we're, we're in the wilderness. By the way, where are all the miserable Israelites in this story? And we're complaining. We're complaining because we have nothing to drink. And God has brought us out into the wilderness to kill us. Okay? We're all there. We're we're in the wilderness. And we're complaining. So we're going to judge God. That's what Exodus 17 is about. But... Who are we going to punish when we judge God? Well, we can't see God, so we're going, to, we're going to stone Moses to death if we find him guilty. So God says to Moses, I want you to grab your staff of judgment, and I want you to go over here, and I want you, and, and I will be there in front of you. I, I bet you've never thought about this passage like this, but so... They're going this place, and he takes all the elders to this rock. And God says, I will be in front of you, and I want you to strike the rock. So Moses takes his staff of judgment and strikes the rock. Where do you think God was in that story? Standing on the rock. It's a promise of the future. And what did the rock produce? Life-giving water. It was saying, you're going to judge me. I'm going to be struck down and I'm going to pour out life-giving water to whoever believes. Promises, you see, we don't even look at it like that. When we read that, we don't look at that story and go, that's what's happening there. But that is exactly what's happening in that story. It's a promise that God is going to send his son. And his son is going to pour out his living water to give us life. God gives us promises throughout the whole Old Testament. We could be here for months just talking about all the promises that have been fulfilled. When you get into the little nitty-gritty detail of what the text actually represents and means. We have the promise of a prayer. You see, we, these are the promises that he gives us. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. God tells us he will provide for us. Exodus 15.26 
says, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God. But there's a, there's, here's the do's and don'ts. There's, there's like 611 or whatever it is, do's and don'ts in the Bible in the Old Testament. But they all come with promises or punishment. Okay? This is one that comes with a promise. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put Now I've lost my spot. Put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Can you imagine going back to, to that time? He ate plague after plague after plague, okay? Then he comes to the death plague, okay? All the other plagues, by the way, that happened, the, the frogs the, did not affect the Israelites. They were not affected at all by any of the other plagues. Then God says to them, you will take a lamb without blemish and you will sacrifice that lamb. Just so you get a visual, they would have took that lamb, they would have been like this and they would have grabbed the lamb's head and they would have slit the lamb's neck to let that lamb, and then let go and let the lamb bleed out. Okay? It's all representative of what we did to Jesus when we sin. Then they had to take that blood and smear it over the, the door. Okay? To cover their sin. None of the other plagues. All representing, never promise, never promise, never promise. I will provide for you if you do what I ask you to do. I would have not been wanting to be an Israelite in that town. Because do you think all the Israelites listen to God? Your neighbors are screaming because they are being killed. They're dying. Because they didn't listen to God. They're like, I mean, God's just in all these miracles, really, of, of plagues to try and set them free. And, and uh, on this one, he said, if you want to be set free, you have to do this. You have to smear the blood of the lamb around your doorpost. Take any leftovers and throw them in the fire when you're done eating the, the, the meat and, and burn them. By this time. And if you don't, death is not going to walk past your door. All your firstborn children are going to die. God, by the way, is a promise keeper. And when we sing that song, we look at the good things that God, we, we always go, wow, 
God keeps all his promises. Well, he does. He does. But he always he promises that we should obey him. Not because we have to. Because we get to. We realize what has been done for us. That now we say, hey, I want to follow you. I want to please you. I want to turn away from my life. I want to turn towards you. That, that's what repent means. It just means I am going this direction and I don't want to go this direction anymore. So I'm going to turn away and walk towards God, not away from him. Every single time you choose sin in your life, and I choose sin. I spit in God's face. I spit at Jesus on the cross and say, you don't make me happy. The world can make me happy. You can't make me happy. I don't believe, I don't have enough faith to believe that you are the one that will make me happy. I need to have faith in myself to make me happy. I need to do this to make me happy. I need this to make me happy. Nothing in this world will make me happy. Shelly, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do I always make you happy? No. And if your spouse was honest, they would say the same thing. I'm just brave enough to ask in front of a bunch of people because I knew what the answer was going to be. Okay? Does Jesus always make you happy? Always. Always. But we get attached to someone or something or something and we put our faith and trust in that person. And think they're going to make me happy until they don't. We need to put our faith and our trust in the one who has promised to take care of us. To look after us. Then the the verse 1 goes on. The conviction of things not seen. See, faith is having a conviction that this is how it's going to turn out. So everybody sat on a chair today. They trusted that that chair was going to hold them. That the pastor didn't take his saws all and cut any legs off to try and make a point this morning. I was busy going to the airport outside Midov. So, so... So, so we have to have the conviction that, yes, God is going to do what he says he's going to do. He's going to keep his promises. Believe what God says before you see it. Before you see it. You believe that God is going to do it. All the great men in the Bible had complete faith in God. I did not just get Jackie to read that text so to see how many times she, should, she, she could say circumcised in a service. 
without anybody looking at her like, does she have to say circumcised one more time? The object of that whole text, by the way, is, is that, that Jesus had faith, that Abraham had faith in God before that. And, and that is what marked the Israelite people is circumcision. But that was just an object, by the way. It was, it, it's, it, my, my circumcision is my tattoos. Really. I put them on my body to mark me for God. That's why I get godly tattoos that I consider that mean something to me in my faith. It's to mark me so when I look at them, they remind me. My, my, this grace tattoo was tattooed here for one reason, one reason only, because I forget that everybody's saved by grace. So I had it tattooed on me so I can look at it and go, I'm not just the only one saved by grace. Everybody's saved by grace. That reminders. This, is, this was a reminder of me picking up my cross. Because my first tattoo, I wasn't a Christian, and it says made in England. This one was me, and it's got the, the flag and everything. Not because I'm patriotic. I love America. But it's because that's where I picked up the cross. That was where I was reborn. That's when I chose to follow God at all cost. And every person that we're going to talk about in February, so you've got a long time to study the rest of Hebrews 11, we've only, we're going to get through this within a year. But Hebrews 11 talks about all the people that went before us, all the people that put their trust in God and did what God asked them to do. So we have the people of faith. For by, verse 2, for by it the people of old received their commendation. See, men of God in, in the days of old were famous for their faith. The Living Bible puts that verse. They were famous. Do you want to, I want to die being famous for what I believe. I don't care if anybody loves me. But they say, that man believed what he said. I don't care, really, just so you know, I don't care if I make anybody happy except God. That's why I'm not very careful about what I say because I want to please God, not you. I'm okay with offending you. I'm not okay with offending God. I want to be that person when I die. I want you to be that person that can stand in front of God and and have the conviction that you believed what you said you believed. You didn't question God because he is God and you will never understand him. We have to have faith in God during problems. And by the way, having faith in God obviously doesn't make us perfect because the, the one character they talk about here a lot in, in 11 is Abraham. And he tried to, 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 to pawn his wife off of his sister so he didn't get killed. 
You know? Oh, yeah, she's just my sister. Yeah, you can do whatever you want with her. <laughs> just don't kill me, please. You know? And he is a man of faith. So he's not a sinless man. So let's get this straight. A man of faith is not a sinless man. It's probably a sinless man or a sinless woman, but it's not a sinless person. But we have to have faith in God during pain. Job 1, 1 through 21. Obviously not going to read all the texts. I'm running out of time. Job, God is the, the devil. Goes, hey, I've got, I got a thing. I'll, I, all your people only follow you because you're good to them. And God said, hey, take my servant Job. You can do anything you want to my servant Job. You can't hurt Job. And then God took his family away from him, except his nagging wife. I'm like, he was probably like, gosh, you couldn't took my nagging wife and leave my kids? But he didn't. He said, he said, the only thing left was his nagging wife. He said, you must have done something to God. But, but, but Job kept his faith in God. Losing everything. I love the fact that we pray. I think prayer changes things. But maybe Jacob doesn't get cured from cancer this side of heaven. But he will be cured. He will be cured. And I think Priscilla's got enough faith to know that we ask God for miracles, but sometimes he doesn't give them because he's got a bigger plan. And he, you, we, here's the thing is, he might want Jacob with him. I'm not saying, because I believe we should pray. We should pray like God is going to change everything we pray for. I'm 100% in. Okay? But the, the, the problem with that, when you pray that way, and only that way, and don't have the idea that God might not answer that prayer, when he doesn't, and that person is not healed, or that person is gone out of your life, you're bitter and angry at God for not doing what you asked him to do. And then you get mad at him. That's not having faith in him. That's not having faith saying, his plan is better than my plan. We should pray for everything. We should pray for everything like God is going to change everything. But God has a different plan than us. God works differently than we work. Obviously, read your Bible. Job lost everything. Job also shows a firm faith in God. If we go to Job Job 13, 15, though he stay slay me, I will hope in him. Still have hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. He's also got courage, by the way. I actually think it's funny. Job, the book itself. I love. When Job is arguing with God, 
I think it's the most hilarious part of the Bible because it's like, God's like, who do you think made all that stuff? Me. I made everything. God could have slayed Job and he still would trust God and not question him. True faith. Job 19.25. For I know that my Redeemer lives. He's lost everything. And he's still praising God. See, that's the scary thing. When you think that God is going to answer every prayer the way you think he should answer it. You lose faith in him. He is still God. I remember praying, I just want to say goodbye to my mom in person. I just want to say goodbye to my mom in person. God, can you just keep her alive for 24 hours? I don't even think that would make God sweat, okay? I woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go to the airport. I had a message on my phone. Your mom has passed away. He is still God. I was angry, by the way. I'm not saying I wasn't angry. I nearly never preached again. I was angry for like six months until I realized God owed me nothing. I was asking for something that, that he didn't have to give me. See, we all... I'm in the same boat. You don't deserve heaven. Yet he gives it to you. This is what Job understood. You don't deserve anything you have. Yet he still gives you stuff. And he owes you nothing. So it took me six months to come to this realization. I actually think... Now, looking back, that God used that to change my whole theology. To change how I thought about him. He allowed my mom to die to help me grow. Because I was angry for six months. Shelly didn't like to be around me for six months. I was angry all the time. I was actually slipping into a lot of my old ways before I was a Christian. I would break stuff. I was getting horrible. And then I come to the realization that God didn't owe me my own soul. He gave me salvation. He doesn't owe me that. He doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe you anything. You just happen to be blessed today. And if he took everything away from you, he's still God and he still saved you when you didn't deserve it. So everything you have, you don't deserve. You didn't earn it. It's his. He allowed you to use it. That's how I started looking at my mom. That's how I look at my wife. That's how I look at my kids, my grandkids. That God said this to me. Here, this is your mom. Love her. One day I might take her back. My wife, when she goes. Or my grandkids could die. He only loaned them me for a little bit. They belong to him. 
They don't belong to me. They're his. I look at everything I have like that. That's why when even material things, even when Shelly got in a car wreck, it wasn't to me, we might have to struggle with one car. Big deal. God knew. This is what I said. We put money in the car a week before. Seven days prior to that, I paid $1,500 to fix the car, and now I don't have a car or any money. So, so, but do you think that took God by surprise? I didn't. Shelly was crying in a car saying, we just put money in here, we just did this, what are we going to do? And I said this, do you, think this got, do you think this took God by surprise? God knew this. God knew six days after we did it that this was going to happen. He's in control. If he wants us to have two vehicles, he'll make it happen because he's God. And I believe that. I believe he's a good God. And if he wants me to have two vehicles, if we have to struggle with one vehicle, we'll make it. Get a horse. I know somebody. <laughs> but, but that's the kind of faith you have to have in God. That no matter when, if it's going bad or good, we need faith in God during prayer. This is my other favorite text from the Old Testament. Ezekiel, I mean Kings. 1 Kings 18, 25 through 41. Can't read the whole story. But it's a good one. So Elijah said to the prophet of Baal, Baal choose for yourself one ball and prepare it. He, what he's going to do is he's get, they're going to have a competition. It's, it, I love this. And so, so they take a, a, make a fire and put a ball on it. And the, the, the people who worship Baal are praying to their god Baal. Okay. And Elijah is over here, and he's got his. And, 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 and actually, when they do, when they, when they, they do this, they make a fire. He puts his sacrifice on it, but they cover it with water and water and more water. But that's later in the story. Because this is why I love the story, is because Elijah would be, I, 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 I can relate to Elijah. Because in the text, this is how you know the Bible is so amazing. In the text, could you imagine saying this to somebody? They're praying, and they're praying. So at noon, after they've been praying, okay, Elijah mocked them saying this. Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or maybe he's relieving himself. He's taking a dookie. That's what they, Elijah is saying that. I think that's really, really funny. I mean, people say the Bible's so serious. I'm like, no, it's not. You haven't read it. I mean, really, Elijah, can you imagine this? This would be like some, is your, is he, is he just uh, waiting? Is he taking a bathroom break or something? Uh, come on, come on now. Mocking him. Or is he on a journey? Or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. So Elijah is mocking the God of Baal because he's not really a true God. And they cried aloud and cut themselves because that's going to make that God show up. So later is when Elijah 
took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the son of Jacob, whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with them he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the ball into pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time and said, do it a third time. And he did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at this time of the offering of the ablation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are a God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. By the way, how many times do you think God's lit a fire like this before? And he's going to do it again? How many times do you think Elijah's seen this? I don't think Elijah's probably ever seen this. And he's got enough faith to believe that God is going to pull this through. Because guess what's going to happen to Elijah if God doesn't pull this off? He is not going to be around no more. Okay? And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. See, here's the thing. We have to have faith in God for the impossible. For the impossible. We have to have faith in God during persecution. Look at Daniel when he's thrown into the lion's den. He believed that he was going to walk out of the lion's den. I'm not sure... I've got that much faith. But Daniel said, okay, um, you're going to punish me. He sat, can you imagine it'd be like there with these two big, it would have been awesome. I wish I was Daniel in this story because he'd been tickling them, playing with the kiddies, you know. And then, because when you watch it in a kid's story, that's what they do. And then, because they don't do this part in the kid's story, obviously. In the kid's story, they, 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 they stop when he gets out. But then they throw in the people that, ratted on Daniel and said that he needed to go in there and then they get eaten up by the... They don't even make it down the entranceway to the lion's den. Daniel's been in there all night playing with the kiddies, having a fun. And these people, because he had faith during persecution, he knew that his God was God. We lack that kind of faith. The power of faith. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. See, God didn't make this universe out of anything. He just went, boom, he fought it and it became. 
He didn't have matter. He created matter. He is the creator. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. See, God created, made from nothing. He made us in his image. We create stuff. But I've not met somebody that can create something out of nothing yet. Because only God can do that. His creation, John 1.3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That means everything you're ever going to see with your eyes, everything that you're ever going to touch was made by him. He is the controller of all things. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. See, God not only created all things, but he controls all things as well. And they were created for him. So that means I was created for him. You were created for him. The practice of faith. Verse 6. Jump down to verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. See, there is no pleasure without faith. God is pleased by our faith. See, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. See, one does not use reasoning, but believes what God says. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. You see, he is God. He is all-powerful. He knows all things. He is in all places at the same time. So he is in this room with us today, but he's in every bar that's out in Rockford. He's in every seedy joint in the world. He's everywhere. That's a good way to stop you sinning. Going, oh man, am I willing to do this in front of God? Because I am. Part of the problem is we don't have the faith to believe that this is true. That God is everywhere. We think we can hide from God, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. We think we can hide from him. We cannot hide from God. He is everywhere at all times. And by the way, he knows what you're going to do. This is the scary thing. Before you do it.
The last part of that verse is, and that he rewards those who seek him. Are you really, really seeking God? God rewards you and and not, my wallet's going to get fatter, I'm going to have a bigger house reward. He rewards you by loving you, taking care of you. And one day, one day, whenever it is, and it's going to seem like soon because Everybody you talk to, when they get to a certain, they go, wow, where did all them years go? I was sitting in my uh, living room. The first time I came to America, I got a picture of me and my brother in America. The first time I ever came to America. I was uh, eight and my brother was seven. And I'm looking at a picture and go, where did them years go? Where have all them years gone? And, and, and they go so fast. So it's not going to be long before I die even if I live another 40, 50 years. It's not going to be very long. And then I'm going to die and I'm going to be in God's presence. The greatest reward of all is that that I get to be in God's presence. When I die, not because of anything I've done, but because of everything that Jesus did for me. The same goes for you. That one day, however hard this world treats you, whatever happens in this world, if you truly, truly, truly put your faith in Jesus, the Savior of the universe, you will be there with him. You will be there with him. We need to to think about that all the time. See, uh, as Christians, our faith should be growing. It should be growing. And it grows in a, a two-fold way. We, it grows through hearing the Word of God and reading the Word of God and letting it dwell inside of you. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. See, that's why sometimes when you read the Bible and you're in a room on your own, you shouldn't read it silently in your head. You should should read it out loud, and you should read it slowly, because it's not a magazine. It is God's word, and he wants to speak to you through it. And when you read out aloud, there's a different thing that happens, and your your ears are hearing what you're saying, and you can completely, just completely go over it. I'm all for people because it's getting near the end of the year, and everybody goes, there's some people go, hey, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. I'm going to read through the Bible. That's a great idea. Not knocking it. But what I'll tell you, what I'll tell you about reading through the Bible is if it's just the goal to read the Bible in a year, don't bother. This is what I would do. Is say, hey, I'm going to look at the book of John and I'm going to read the book of John as many times as I can in a year 
but not keep count of it. I'm just going to read it slowly, go through it, and then when I get to the end, I'm going to start again. And by the end of that year, I'm going to know what John is talking about because I'm going to be prayerfully going through it and slowly going through it. It is so much better to do that because a lot of people that read through the Bible go, the Bible plan says I've got to read Genesis 1 through 10 and Psalms blah, blah, blah through blah, blah, blah and whatever chapters they tell you in the New Testament, okay? And then you go check, check, check. I can get along and do my day work now. And then I get up the next day and I do check, check, check. And then before long, it's just checking off boxes. I just, I'm going to tell people I read through the Bible in a year. Well, as your pastor, I would prefer you to read one verse of the Bible and actually let it impact your heart in a year than the whole Bible in a year. Because we skim over the story of the Bible. And then we, 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 we grow our faith through experience. Like I was talking about my mom and how it changed the way I believe because he used my life experience to change me. And by the way, most of that change doesn't come when things are going good. Most, most of our changes come when life sucks and is hard and painful. And that is when God truly grows us. And then we can trust God that we will have faith for the future. If one cannot trust God for the small things, he will never trust God for the large things. Faith and doubt never go together. Faith sees the answer. It does not look at the circumstances. Satan does all things in his power to destroy our faith. If he can destroy faith, he will make the Christian ineffective. Big faith in a big God accomplishes big things. And I think God has big things, big things for this church. And for the people of this church. And I think he's got people out there that are going to be coming to this church. They don't even know it yet. They don't even know it yet. That's where my faith is. I believe God is a good God and full of grace and mercy and wants to build something. But we all have to have that kind of faith in him for it to work. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for being such a great, awesome God who loves us all the time. Even when we doubt you, even when we question you, you never stop loving us. You never stop telling us You never stop trying to speak to us. Sometimes we uh, close our ears and and, and our hearts to your message. But I pray, God, that you pry them open. You help us in this room today to, to have hope. And the faith that is needed to grow your church. 
for your name and your name alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.